Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. It's Thierry already! He scored! He scored for Arsenal in the bottom bar! Back to Arsenal! That's an Arsenal! Yes! Get in there! Hello and welcome back to the Different Knock podcast, uh, episode number nine with Alexander Moneypenny and my very, very good friend, Bradley Adams. Bradley Adams, whose enthusiasm in his voice can only be matched by the game we played last night. <laughs> I think you described it as turgid. Turgid would be the would be the uh, the, the adjective I'd use. Uh, I saw Brad for the first time in months last night, yeah. which was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was lovely. We had dinner. We had some wine. We settled down. We 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 tucked ourselves in for a for a good night. We paid ten pounds for uh, some Carabao Cup footage um, with no punditry and one commentator. Um, well, say we we paid. You paid. Uh, and horrific. It was uh, yeah. It was bad. It wasn't great. I think. Well, I I think there's two ways to look at look at that game. Right. There's there's the kind of there's the one side of it was boring, there was no pressing, people were standing still, there was very little to, to discuss, there was kind of uh, what felt like a lack of ideas, what felt like, again, like a, a lack of creativity in the midfield, uh, Leicester played a bit of a B team, is there much to, to be said about beating them? Or there's the idea that we're through to the next round, and, you know, not all football games have to be Classics. Absolute, you know, goal fests mm. or classics. You know, ultimately we got we went and got the job done and the likes of, you know, Willock and Nelson and Nketiah and Saka and, and Pepe got the minutes. No, definitely. I, I agree with you. I think it's fantastic. I, I think the lineup was good. The only I had a few issues in the sense of I think that it was the perfect game for experimentation. I don't personally understand why we're setting up the same way against a Leicester B team that had a defence of, who was it, Wes Morgan, a second keeper that they bought from Liverpool, Christian Fuchs. Like, I'm pretty sure their, their defence's average age was about 37. Yeah, and it, it just screamed as a great opportunity to try a new system. Because I understand why, why we're currently setting up in, the, in a 3-4-3 in games that actually matter in the Premier League. This, uh, the first 12 games of the Premier League season are the most important 12 games of a Premier League season because it's starting the campaign and building the momentum for where you want to go. A massive thing for, for Liverpool last season was that they just carried that momentum on. With us, we obviously need to get off to a good start, need to get some momentum behind us. So I can understand that. I can understand in the Community Shield, in the FA Cup final, in the FA Cup semi-final, setting up in that 3-4-3. But in a match against, in a, in a competition that realistically we don't, win anything 
from other than maybe a, a million or two million pounds in prize money. It just seemed a bit of a wasted opportunity. Yeah, a bit a bit of a missed opportunity. And I think for me, you know, the lineup was fine and it was I think it was quite an expected lineup. You know, I think we knew Onani would come in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Runarsson was probably a bit short. You know, he only arrived this week. Uh, he's not short actually. I think he's about six foot two, but um, he was short in terms of <laughs> gags. <laughs> he's short into cheers. Uh, he's short in terms of uh, match fitness. Yeah, but yeah, I think we knew. You know, I think we knew Tierney probably wouldn't be risked. I think we probably knew that Nketiah would play. All of these things. I just would have loved to see a John Jules, a Miguel Aziz, a someone you said earlier, Balogun, a Balogun. Um, yeah, just somebody yeah, to kind just... of freshen up, and that pl- that will play. You made the, the the comment last night that one of the reasons that it was so dead and turgid was that all of the people playing were regular squad members that knew that they could put in that four, five out of ten performance, get across the line, and it would be fine. Yeah, the only one that actually played with kind of any urgency was Reese Nelson, and even then he was stood on the halfway line at thirty minutes, standing around. Yeah, and and I think you you, you know you wonder why Reese Nelson is playing with a sense of urgency, and I, I wonder whether it's because he's going out on loan, he's trying to pr- trying to prove himself. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it was I think also very good last night. It was great. He, the uh, him and Joe Willock have gone for the low sock look, and I gotta say, don't mind it. Um, yeah, the uh, it's difficult to motivate yourself for a windy September night away at Leicester in a competition you're not particularly bothered about winning. I'm not suggesting we go out there and play an entire youth program, <laughs> give them a give them a day out at the King Power, but I think there's a certain value in potentially freshening up, mm. uh, potentially you know even even playing a, a Lacazette alongside a John Jules or you know just some, some you know an ex, you know bring the experience and, and bring the bring the youth. We're not playing till Monday, you know. I'm not particularly worried about match fitness. Um, and I think it's it's uh, or you know in terms of you know running running players into the ground or anything. I know I know it's a longer season and probably that wouldn't be risked if you're actually manager. But I would have loved to have seen some you know something there because it just it just did feel very you know as as you said uh, as you said that I said it did feel very much like a load of players who know that they're probably not going to play on uh, on Monday, mm. so they're just sort of going through the motions mixed with some players who know they are going to play on Monday, so aren't particularly bothered either way. Do you know what I'm saying? It's also difficult, isn't it? And I think this is another thing in kind of Project Restart slash, you know, without the fans. It's so difficult to gen- to generate an atmosphere. It's so difficult to for players to motivate themselves. It, you know, it, it's really tough. And I do feel for them. And, you know, <laughs> going out on a on a cold, what was it, Wednesday night at, at Leicester, um, I'm not sure I'd be too bothered either. Yeah. But the, the, Nketiah does have this elite mentality. There's a moment uh, for the first goal when not where just before he kind of strikes it the first time, where you if you watch it, you can hear Eddie calling for it. And then the moment that Nico takes the second shot, hits the post, and then it bounces in off of Fuchs, you watch him and he throws his arms up and down in disgust and, and in anger at the fact that he didn't get the opportunity. He's going, for Fuchs' sake, do you know what I mean? I think... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean, and and there's like there, there's definitely a yeah. I think Eddie has got such a it's such an easy thing to say, but like such a poacher's mentality. Mm. Um, 
yeah, I think that was a great moment. And, you know, the kind of the, you know, the 90th minute wriggling through to get that get that goal. I did also want to, want to mention that, you know, in terms of the seriousness of how Arteta takes the the game, you look at that bench, you know, Bayern, Ceballos, Lacazette, Willian, Jacker, you know, that's a, and Runarsson and, and Saliba, obviously. That's a strong bench, you know. He's he's taking this seriously. It was a very strong bench. So in terms of moments during the game, then, uh, I mean, we had a couple of shots from Nelson, um, some nice interplay in bits from Saka. I felt we gave the ball away too much, um, especially El Nene, um in the early periods. Uh, Players were just kind of running themselves into trouble. Yeah, there was a few moments with Nelson and with Saka, and even with uh, Joe Willock and then Ketia, where they would just. They weren't releasing the ball quick enough. They were holding it on to. They yeah. were holding on to it for just a bit too long, and then they were just getting themselves because all that Leicester did was they played a low block for the entire game. So at risk of sounding like that guy who wears the Arsenal headphones and has what's his name? Ty. Ty. Yes, the guy with the water bowls. Um, he. I did wonder whether the conditions played a part. It did look pretty wet. Um, but that is that is my only excuse for Joe Willock giving the ball away about four or five times in one half. I think it is also difficult when they are playing that low block and you're having to do more. You're having to dribble. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't blame the players for losing the ball a bit more. I just think that maybe it could have been. But again, we not we don't have anyone in that in that team. There was nobody. The most creative player in that team is probably Saka, and he was playing left wing back. Yeah. And this is why I took issue with the formation rather than taking issue with the lineup. Definitely, I think it it didn't place his strengths. And you know, had we played Willocks maybe slightly further forward, I I think his position is on the right side of a of a of a maybe an attacking eight position. But he's not really a central midfield player. He doesn't have the technical quality, in my opinion. I think he arrives late, and I think he's got an eye for goal. But I don't. Willocks a Willocks a funny one. I'm not. I'm not convinced, let's put it that way. And he's not young anymore. I think he's he's 21, is he? And when you consider some of the other footballers that we've got around that age, like I know we, we talk about him a lot, like, but Gwen Doozy, if you look at, even though Gwen Doozy flourished in a very chaotic system, you could easily see that he has the raw natural ability yeah. to, if he learned positional awareness, if he learned to kind of iron out some of those mistakes in his game, could easily be an elite level footballer. And he's 20. I'm yeah. not looking at Joe Willock and thinking the same things. Yeah, Will- Willock's 21. You know, Phil Foden's 20 and he's light years ahead of him. Now, they're very different players. I get that. But in terms of how long we persist with the Joe Willock experience, um, sounds like the world's shittest band, the Joe Willock experience. I think, uh, yeah, I, I I'm concerned about Willock's development, to be honest. I think... I don't ever see him grab games by the scruff of the neck, particularly. I don't ever feel like he's really busting a gut to to stay in the team. I think he's a bit casual. Mm. Um, and when I hear him speak, I think he's a bit casual as well, which is, you know, fine. That, if that's your character, there's nothing wrong with that as such. You know, there's there's lots of players who, who play casually, but you can't have his level of technical ability, which is, you know, decent and be really casual. Like, you've got to be an elite... You've got to be... You've got to be an elite baller to be that casual, do you know what I mean? Oh, of course, of course. And I think this is the issue and why kind of maybe injecting some youth might have helped. We have no midfielders. As in like, Joe Willock is almost guaranteed a place on our bench. We've got Ceballos, we have Xhaka, 
and we have Elneny currently because we don't seem to be playing Guendouzi, whether that's because we're still looking to get rid of him or whether it's because we're kind of slowly easing him back into the fold. He's training now. But already Joe Willock is that fourth option. Yeah, and I wonder, say, say for example, if we did sign um, Alwara and Party in some ridiculous meta world that we don't live in, say we did sign those people, I wonder whether Willett goes out on loan. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree because then he goes from being fourth choice to being kind of sixth, seventh choice. And we, we play a different system. We If we sign those two players, we play a different system that will and not... And he, he needs game time. He is not a good enough midfielder to play in a three without the five behind him. 100%. Say, for example, we had Party sitting deep or Xhaka sitting deep. Party, ne- party next to them. You know, we, we, we play we play some kind of iteration of Awar, Party, Xhaka, and then, you know, rotating in with maybe Elneny and, and Ceballos for, for, for freshness. Mm. Um, you know, Willock could get some games, but, you know, we've got Gwendouzi as well. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm slightly concerned on Willock's behalf. I hope he's okay. I hope he's eating his greens. The, the only thing... I really noticed about last night was our set pieces. Now, this could definitely be confirmation bias in that we've got a set piece coach and I'm going, oh, look, the set pieces. But I did think, I do think in the last sort of three games of this season, we have looked like we have a bit more of an idea from set pieces. And an idea about how to defend them. Yeah. Um, nothing's majorly come up apart from the Gabriel goal. But, you know, one set piece goal in three games is, you know, you, you take that over the course of a season. And... Yeah, I I think we are a little bit more compact. We appear to have a bit more of an idea. We appear to be trying things. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a sign of encouragement, certainly for me. And I think we also have to say, although this this game, as me and you love to say, was kind of dripping in Emery, these were the games that last season we would have lost or drawn in the first half of the season. So to come away with a 2-0 win, which is massively flattering, that is a massively flattering scoreline. You know, Madison hit the post. Leno was tested once or twice. You know, I'm really not... Again, this could also be confirmation bias in that I've just seen Emmy Martinez go to Aston Villa, save a penalty on his debut and keep a clean sheet. And I remember him being very commanding when it came to kind of the FA Cup final. He would always come out and claim crosses. Leno is so bad in the air. He is, uh, honestly, uh, you, there, there, are, there are moments when he looks at the ball and then looks at players and like coming for the ball and then will decide not to go for it. Yeah. And will decide to try and make the save rather than just pluck the ball out of the air. We saw it when he went over David Luiz's back. We saw it uh, in the West Ham game. I wonder whether there's a communication issue there. I wonder whether there's a, you know, he's been out for a few games and there's something there. Yeah. But I do agree with you. There's a, there's a kind of... There's a distinction for me between, you know, Leno and Martinez, I think, are on a similar level. I think Leno is a top-class goalkeeper. I don't think he's world-class. And I think it is that what you say. I think it is that just that slight lack of presence and slight vulnerability in the air that just means he doesn't hit that world-class level for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, And this is also not me saying that Martinez doesn't have flaws in his game. I think the issue is, is that Martinez is, was better in the air and better with his feet. And Leno is a better shot stopper. And currently you look at what we need. You think that, you know, we've not, I mean, we've rejuvenated the defence now with two new defensive signings, but one of them is currently playing with the under 23s to either gain some fitness or some kind of 
tactical awareness when it comes to how we're going to play. Maybe we do need a shot stopper rather than... And also, now that we've got Gabriel, who's 6'4", and Saliba, who's 6'3", we've got two kind of quite tall, strong, commanding centre-backs who are meant to be good in the air. Maybe Leno doesn't have to come out and claim as much. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it depends what you're asking your goalkeeper to do. And clearly, we've kept Leno because we think we think we'll be able to keep opposition away from the goal. I saw an interesting stat about Saliba um, that he was. I think he he's a massive outlier in um, tackle like uh, tackling actions that lead to fouls. He has an unbelievable amount of tackling actions before he before at least a foul. I think he had like one yellow card in a season or something. Um. And I wonder whether we're more we're we're considering that Leno might be used more as a shot stopper because if he's a shot stopper, then that's what we need him for, obviously. But what I'm trying to say is, if we're reducing the amount of shots that we need, and we're reducing, I mean, you know, it's kind of pointless now. We, Martinez is gone, but I wonder why we chose Leno because if we're trying to reduce the amount of shots, then surely we need a keeper who is better with their feet and better in the air from crosses and set pieces. Do you know what I mean? So it feels like a bit of a weird thing to have done. I, I don't know. Maybe that's not the game plan. I don't know. Of course. I think it is also just situational in the sense of we just brought Leno in two seasons ago. He cost something like 20, maybe 20, 25 million pounds. So we've obviously just had quite, we put a big outlay on him. Um, he was our player of the season, kind of pre-injury. And won us so many points due to his... He's a fantastic shot stopper. But if you look at kind of the the business awareness of the situation, you've got Martinez who's pushing for first team football two years out from the end of the deal going, you either guarantee me new foot, like actual football or I'm going to leave. Yeah. And you've got Leno who's probably still got three to four years maybe on his contract. And unfortunately, I think it... Mm, I think time will probably end up telling that Martin, the Martinez sale ended up being more about the contractual situation. Yes, very potentially. If we if we had them both signed to the same five year deal on the same wage, mm. who we would have and the set also it's about suitors as well. We had people like Aston Villa, yeah, who aren't direct rivals coming in with twenty million. Yeah, coming in and offering twenty million pounds, whereas we didn't have any suitors for Leno. And I, 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 I do worry that that is the... Because I, I think in this new way that Mikel Arteta is going to start to play, the goalkeeper you want is Martinez. Good from set pieces, good distribution. A decent shot stopper, but you won't, you need a shot stopper. Well, like, traditionally, Arsenal have had fantastic shot stoppers. You look at Jens Lehmann was a fantastic shot stopping goalkeeper but played with a def- some uh, points with a defence in front of him of Senderos and Ibue and Flamini playing at centre-back. The man was, of course, going to face a ridiculous amount of shots. Bern Leno is only our player of the season, last season, because he spent six months under Emery facing something like 20 shots a game from Watford. Yeah. In the new system that we are going to end up playing, I do worry that we have almost let the wrong goalkeeper go, but we've had our hands tied because we had no opportunities and no options. Yeah. There were no suitors for Leno. Leno has maybe three and a half, four years left on his deal, whatever it is. Mm. And we just spent 25 million on him. Uh, agreed, agreed. So just last couple of bits on the game then. I think, you know, we just just, just cover the goals really. Uh, a decent goal. I mean, a goal very 
uh, what would be the word endemic to that? I'm just making that word up now. What's the no 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 yeah, very a, word. a goal very endemic to the game. I'm, I think that's a phrase. Um, a goal very endemic to the game in Pepe's goal. Uh, well, Fuchs's own goal really. Um, you know. It was good endeavour from Pepe. I mean, he did hit the post from about two yards out, as we pointed out last night. Open um, goal, open goal. But you know, it went in, and I think it. Yeah, it was. Ve- it was a very of that game goal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as we as we said before, I think Nketiah's goal was was well deserved and great work from Bayern down the side. I think Bayern's hitting a really good, hitting a really good level at the moment. Yeah, yeah, fantastic runner form. I think the Nketiah goal is lucky as well because if you actually watch it, I have no clue why the bloody Crystal uh, Leicester goalkeeper. Thought we would play Crystal Palace last night for 30 seconds there. Haven't they got a keeper called Ward, though? I don't know if they've got a keeper called Ward or whether it's like a player called Ward, like a right back or something. Crystal Palace um, Ward. There's a moment where... Yeah, they've got... Oh, they've got Joel Ward. Is he a goalkeeper? He's a right back. Oh, okay. That's where I've gotten confused. There's a moment where Enketia and... I, I don't know. Is it Wes Morgan that ends up hitting the floor? They're like bundling over and there's a, and the ball is right in front of the goalkeeper. And all the goalkeeper's got to do is go down and smother it. He's literally not even half a foot away from it. And he just kind of stands there and waits for it to roll into his hands. It felt very much like the game though. Just like people were switching off. Yeah. Where's Morgan, yeah, yeah. Morgan just stopped. Just... Like it was just very, it was very, yeah, very endemic of the game. That's not, is it a phrase? I'm going to look that up after the episode. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, We'll see. Kalazanak, who we were slating as well last night, I read a stat this morning. He won, well, he regained possession, whether that be through tackles or interceptions, more times than anyone else on the pitch. I prefer not to speak. I prefer not to speak. But I think that's the thing, is If isn't I speak, it? I'm in big trouble. I think that's the thing. Like, And I don't want to be in big trouble. I, I, I also feel like half the time he got the ball back, it's because he gave it away. <laughs> Oh, Brad, he's just trash. I feel bad, right? Because, like, we're in a different position now. We're not just, like, you know, we've got some listeners. And I don't just want to say a player is trash. I have to give my reasons. And I will give my reasons. I suppose what I mean is, like, I feel bad just criticising a player outright. and but Or just, you know, saying, well, they're just rubbish at football. They're clearly not rubbish at football. Yeah. But Kalasinac is just... Oh. I think Gunnar said this last night on the on Twitter... He has two passes in his locker and it's back to the centre-back or down the side and neither of them work all the time. And it's he has nothing else in his locker, mate. He's just... Mm. Uh, yeah, as we said in the last episode, I'm not sure he's lost pace or confidence or whatever it is, but anyway. So this week we had the news that uh, goalkeeper Alex Renarsson had joined us on a four-year contract from French club Dijon. Dijon. And, uh, Dijon. Dijon. Uh, he's an... Iceland international. We talked about it before. I think the yeah, you know, backup goalkeeper wearing the number thirteen. I'm a big fan. He, you know, listen, we trust in Yaki Kanya. We, I think, you know, he's worked with him before. He clearly knows his strengths and weaknesses. I think it's a it's a good move for the for the price we did it. The only interesting thing I uh, noticed and picked up from this was um, Edu saying. Uh, we've been monitoring him for some time and from the analysis he has strong attributes that we look for in a goalkeeper and as a person now I think you know it's kind of a small notification really or a small thing to notice really Um, but I do think that's interesting in terms of the recruitment model moving forward Edu's saying he wants to use more of stat DNA I wonder whether you know Kanye's recommended him 
And also, he looked good on stat DNA, and there's some kind of underlying metrics that make a bit more sense for this deal. Yeah. Um, I just think it was an in- it was an interesting comment from Edu that I thought, you know, you you don't often say, we've been monitoring for a long time, and from the analysis, he looks good. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you'd say, from watching him, or, or we think he's an amazing player, or whatever. It's an interesting way of phrasing it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's an interesting comment to make about kind of how we're now recruiting and whether maybe we were looking at him as a second option for for a while whilst we were looking at Runison, uh, Raya as a first option. And there's still muted talks that we're... Muted? Were they quiet? Oh, did I say muted? <laughs> there's still muted talks that we're, we're looking to sign Raya on about 10 to 15 million pounds with a, a loan back for the year. So with Matt Macy obviously coming out and saying he wants to leave as well, I think it's interesting that this guy's come in for only £1.5 million. Maybe it looks to end up being a third choice goalkeeper. Who knows? It's a decent deal for now that hopefully if hopefully he comes good and if Leno gets injured again or whatever, he's phenomenal. But hopefully we don't ever have to see it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, okay, Brad, I have a question for you that my friend Danny asked me. Okie dokie, my friend. Uh, this is in light of the, uh, I just ordered the new Arsene Wenger autobiography. It's being, uh, well, I pre-ordered it. So I'll get that uh, on October the 14th or 13th, whenever it comes out. Um, and I wondered, Bradley, if you had one question, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you had one question for Wenger and one question for Arteta and they couldn't lie to you, or they couldn't not reveal the entire truth. Oof. What would it be? Oof. For Arteta, and I know we said we want to do a full podcast about this. I'd ask him about the Urzil situation. I think I think I honest I think I honestly would because we know nothing. And we said we wanted to do a full podcast about it because all of the things that are out there about if he's not playing because of it's maybe it's player bonuses, maybe it's because he's close to a certain number of league appearances. We'll we'll go into that. But to actually know would be fascinating because I think that it, it's it's very strange as to how this has been handled and the the lack of kind of clarity. I mean, what was it? Edu and Vinay gave gave an interview saying they wanted to be clear with the fans and and open with them. And then you've got Mikel Arteta refusing, pretty much refusing to answer the question and just re-angling his answer a certain way. Um, for Wenger, what would I ask Wenger? Um, Oh, that's actually that's actually really really difficult because there's quite a few questions. There's a lot of kind of I think for me personally I think Arteta I'd also go with the Ozil thing. Um, I think with Wenger it's an interesting one because I kind of want to know like things like what happened in the summer of 2011 with Cesc and Nazari and all that sort of stuff and what really happened with Van Persie and you know what happened with Henri and you know what was it like you know there's lots of questions. Mm. I think what I'd want to know is. I'm sure he's got some secrets about some players. I'm sure he's got some like, you remember when this thing happened? Remember when this person got an injury? Yeah. This, actually, this was going on kind of thing. I'd like, yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure there's a few down the years where, you know, actually Philippe Senderos was involved in an international crime ring and that's why he was so bad. He was up, up all night counting money. I'd love to know. I think I'd love to know why he never left. Because, I mean, it's 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 we we know he had offers from much, much bigger clubs at the time when we were not, when we just moved to the Emirates and he was basically staying there to balance our books and to keep us where we are. And um, I'll love the man forever for everything that he gave our football club. But yeah, I think that'd be an interesting question to kind of understand his 
thought process as to why he actually never left, whether it was loyalty, whether it was because he was being paid well or whatever. Mm. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'd love to know what happened with Henri because as much as Henri... I mean, my my uh, my favourite three players that have ever played for Arsenal are... Mathieu Flamini. <laughs> Meza Ozil, Dennis Bergkamp and Thierry Henry. In that order. Meza Ozil's your number one. I, 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 I loved him at Madrid and I, I loved when we signed him. Honestly, not for the latter years. It's just like a personal affinity. Like, I love the style of football he plays, the way he passes a ball, his vision. Like, he was my favourite footballer when we signed him. I was like, I loved him to pieces. And then we signed him and I, you know, I was living my like, whatever, however old I was, like my 17-year-old wet dreams. <laughs> and this is how it's ended. Um I mean, it's probably recency bias as well, because obviously when Henri and Burkamp were at their pomp, I was six. Yeah. So if we're talking about the era of football I actually know, understand and grew up watching, Meza Ozil is the best player we've ever had. Yeah, there's slight side note. I love seeing people argue who are definitely 16 on Twitter between like Henri and Drogba, as if they were conscious when either of them were playing, <laughs> playing well in the Premier League. Um, yeah, uh, to find out what happened with Henri would be interesting because, I mean, as much as he is uh, one of our greatest ever players, an absolute legend, he did kind of snake Arsenal a bit yeah. and just leaving to win a Champions League somewhere else. Okay, all right, so we're both going, let's let's answer this. And listeners, I'd love to hear your uh, your thoughts on this as well. Same. I'm going, Arteta, I'd love to know what's going on with the Ozil situation. Oh, oh no, 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 Brad, no, what Brad. What have you forgotten? No, I'd go for the Raul Sanyehi. I'd go for Raul Sanyehi. What happened? What actually happened with Raul Sanjayi? Because I bet Arteta knows. Uh, what actually happened? Why did he leave at that time in that way after Tim Lewis had been appointed? All that sort yeah. of stuff. What happened there? And then, uh, are you going for that? Or are you going for Özil? I think I'm going for. I think I'm. Uh, yeah, I think I'm sticking with Özil because I think the Raul Sanjayi thing is all but confirmed. That it's because he took back payments on Pepe, wasn't it? But- we could not confirm that, nor deny that, Bradley. Um, nor deny that. And Wenger, I'm going to go... Conjecture. I'm going to go... It's our favourite word in this podcast. Um, I'm going to go... Yeah, I'm going to go with the... Give us a secret about a player, like why... An, an injury, like why they were actually off. I'm, I I think there's probably a really interesting story in that. Mm, yeah, I'd, I'd go with... I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure there's a better question there, but I, I, I'd, I'd be interested in that. I'd go with. Oh, I, I, I want to know why he didn't re-sign Cesc Fabregas when Chelsea signed him. Interesting. Why? What? What the ethos was? Because he obviously came back and led the league in assists the first season back in the Premier League. So that would be my question. But wouldn't wouldn't that just be because of Wilshire and Ramsey? It was clear of Wilshire and Ramsey when he left, and he was clear when he looked at rejoining. So. But in terms of their, you know, blocking their development. Maybe, maybe, or I. I Okay, yeah, that, I think I I think you you could be right there, which is why it might make it a less interesting question than to try and find out what happened with Henri. So maybe the Henri, maybe why we didn't resign Cesc. I think Wenger's a different one because I would have so many questions for Wenger. Yeah, I'd lo- I'd love to just sit down for like with like a couple of bottles of wine and just pick his brains, and not even just on football, just on life. Like he just seems like such an interesting guy. Oh. Um, also this week we had the news that uh, Reese Nelson is going to be allowed to go out on loan uh, I think that's a good thing I, I know he played on the left last night but whether he I think I see more as a right winger but whether he plays 
left or right. I think there's a lot of competition for those wing positions. You know, on the left, we've got Aubameyang, Saka, Martinelli when he comes back. William can play there. And on the right, we've got Pepe and William, certainly. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of happy with this. I think Reese Nelson's got a lot to offer. I think he just needs a run of games. I think he needs some... Yeah, and the way we manage loans with you know um, with Ben Napper, our loan manager, I think we'll choose the right option, um, and I hope he gets some. I hope he gets some game time, and I, and, I, and I hope he just finds that groove and that spark, and gets a couple of goals, and gets a bit of confidence, and, and can come back. You know, just with a bit more, I'm ready, and a bit more kind of I'm ready to fight for that place, regardless of who I'm fighting against. I feel, I feel, I feel, I don't think this is again. Our favourite word in this podcast. Conjecture. This is complete conjecture. <laughs> but I do have a sense that he's a bit resigned to like, well, I've got Pepe and Willian ahead of me, so I'll get my opportunities where I can. And that's fine. But I, I wonder whether there's a better opportunity, you know, going to a an Aston Villa or something or, or, a, or a Crystal Palace and, and you know, and really fighting for a place and getting 20 to 30 appearances in a, in a season. I think that would be, that would be perfect for his development. No, no, no. I totally agree. Um, He's definitely kind of lower down in the pecking order than I think his talent warrants at a prem- at certain Premier League teams. So uh, I, I just think get him out on loan, season-long loan, no option to buy, none of that shite. Just get him out on loan, get him 30 appearances in, in league and cup competitions, get him that first-team experience and reassess from there. Definitely, I I think he's he's got he's as as you said you know he's got he's got the the raw materials. I think he's a, a fantastic player, and he's got that swagger. He's got that thing that yeah. I think you need as a winger and as, as a forward player. But I just think he lacks. I just think he lacks experience, and he hasn't. Yeah, people will go. Well, he's had loads of minutes. He's never had a massive run in the team. No, and I thought under Arteta, he's he's. Uh, he might push forward in a certain way. You know, I think we all had that sort of, he's going to take off like Sterling did. I don't think he has the talent of Sterling, but I think he can, he can make a really, really good top level career. And I, ho- I hope Absolutely. it's with Arsenal. I really like him. I really like him. I think the thing is as well, he wasn't, he it wasn't long ago that he went off to Hoffenheim when Sancho first went to Dortmund and people were talking about them in the same sentence. Well, I think there was a piece in the Athletic about about Nelson and he's he's long been tipped, you know, he I think he played in London and and people are going, you know, this guy's the next whatever and I think he's he's just slightly stalled. Um so yeah, I think I think this could be a, a really good move for him. We also had the news that Bruno Maziotti, Maziotti, uh, the uh, Brazilian physio is joining us, joining our Brazilian contingent. Uh, he was obviously famous for getting, obviously famous, <laughs> wasn't obviously famous for this. Imagine, imagine this, just going out to someone on the street. You know, uh, you know Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know who the physio was who got name off it for the 2018 World Cup? I'll be honest, I don't. <laughs> anyway, it's Bruno Maziotti. <laughs> And um, he, uh, yeah, basically he got Neymar fit for the 2018 World Cup and he, you know, got him back within four months um, to the to play the full 90 minutes in the first game. Uh, he's massively rated. Um, obviously, we've got the Brazilian connection now with Edu and with uh, David Luiz and Willian and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and Martinelli and Gabriel. Am I missing anyone? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so... 
yeah, l- listen, it's it's a new physio to replace Chris Morgan. Who knows? But it's interesting that we are bringing in another Brazilian, hopefully just to help the new guys settle. Um, he He's a beast, Brad. He looks big. Looks like a big boy. He looks like a chonky boy. A chonky boy. <laughs> oh, God. And the final bit of news this week, Brad. Uh, Torreira to Atletico. Uh, it's looking pretty likely. Um, Fabrizio has said he's out the door, essentially. Um, I'm pretty happy with that. He's a He just doesn't work for the system. And if we can get a, a decent fee for him... Yep. If we can ship him out, ideally not on loan. I think I think that what's being mooted is is a is a loan deal with no obligation to buy. I think with an option to buy potentially. I mean, obviously, I think that will have ramifications on the party deal. I think that if they're looking for a loan with no obligation to buy, Arsenal will be going, okay, well, not ten million, ten million off what you want for party, and then then we can talk. Mm. Because that would make sense in kind of leveraging, you want our player, this is what we want, let's come to an agreement and then you don't have to buy him. Whereas if they don't do that, he'll go to Italy, yeah, to a club where they just either want to full out buy him now or loan him with an obligation to buy. I think we just need to get a fee for him. I, I, and this summer, ideally. I think Absolutely. You know, when he's clearly not in Arteta's first team plans. He's clearly not massively enjoying his football, I don't think, you know, just because he's not in the team majorly. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be a shame if we didn't get a fee for him, considering what we paid for him and considering his development. And he's now, you know, a few years more experience. He's still only 23, 24. And, you know, it's it's a. I think it would be a missed opportunity if we don't get a fee. But also, we've got to weigh that up against, We've you know, we've got to bring in players and if we can free up even some wages maybe that could get an hour or a party over the over the line mm-hmm. so yeah tricky one i think it, it what's what's difficult at the moment is it kind of all feels like a bit of a house of cards it, it kind of feels like if if Torreira can go you know maybe we can get our or in or party in if socrates can go you know it it just it just feels like a lot of a what's that sort of um domino effect a domino effect or like a yeah like a like a trigger system um like the Aubameyang deal where we let Giroud go to Chelsea Giroud let Batshuayi go to Dortmund and we signed Aubameyang it's the same kind of situation just to a much much larger scale which is tricky because for a club needs to plan and a club needs to know what their squad is going to look like over the next you know 6 12 18 months and to have so many, you know, it's, it's COVID really, isn't it? But, you know, having such a complicated kind of system of levers and pulleys, essentially, must be hard to plan for. And I imagine Arteta is probably quite concerned. And I and I, I do feel kind of his frustration in the press conferences when he's asked about our own party and he's, or asked about people leaving. He, feel, he, he does feel quite sort of, I'm not answering that question. You know, it's it's something that, that not necessarily is a, is a is a is a sore topic, but I imagine it's something that's having a lot of um, attention brought to it behind the scenes. Yeah, I'd agree. It's difficult because look, we're a massive club who makes a massive amount of money. If we had any investment from our owners, we should be able to sign our own party in our sleep because of the situation that we've been put in by Ivan Gazidis when he was kind of the CEO or whatever of the club and like putting ridiculous wages down on players. You know, Socrates is on something like 90 to 100k a week. 
And you're looking at those deals and going, how on earth are we meant to shift these players out? And I can feel as frustration because I'm frustrated as an Arsenal fan looking at my club who is one of the biggest... Uh, it's we, we had a disagreement last night uh, about it, but you said United and I think it's Arsenal are the biggest match day earners in, in, in the world currently. You know, we've got the most expensive season tickets. How are we doing this and still not being able to just afford some bloody players? Yeah, uh, and it is investment. You know, you look at, look at Chelsea, they've just signed another keeper. You know, imagine us signing a £72 million keeper, putting him on a six or seven year deal or whatever it is, and then asking Kroenke a summer or two summers later to sign another keeper. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, we're in a very different position, and that's why it feels like a bit of a... It, it feels very tricky, um, and I'm just hoping we see some movement soon. Um, I think Torreira looks pretty likely. I, I don't think Kalasinac will go just because of Tierney's fitness. Um... Yeah, it's it's a really tricky situation. I hope we, my only hope is we see some resolution soon, and we and we just see some some movement, whatever that may be, because I think we we are really at risk of falling massively behind if we don't invest in at least one midfielder this summer. Absolutely, it's. I think it's. I would say it's. I would say it's crucial. We need one, if not two, but for Christ's sake, we need one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, Brad. And okay, listeners, I'm going to leave you with one more thing. Uh, enjoy this from American news network NBC this week. I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Monday. A couple in Australia, and they were trying to figure out what to name their baby girl. And so the husband had a great idea. He said, let's name her Lanesra. Lanesra and the wife was like, wow, that's a beautiful name. Lanesra. And it was beautiful. And Lanesra went on to be two years old. And then one day the husband said to the wife, I'm going to tell you why I suggested the name Lanesra, Lanesra. which she, she just thought was unique and romantic. Right. She said that her husband told her that it was his favorite soccer team, Arsenal, Arsenal. spelled backwards. <laughs> Lanesra. That is her name. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. If you did enjoy that and want to hear some more, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using for a new podcast every Monday and Thursday. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiffKnock and check out our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.